You're listening to the Teaching Orchestra Podcast, a new place to hear from today's orchestra teachers teaching today's orchestra kids. I'm Janet. And I'm Jessica. We share our successes, struggles, and solutions working with the next generation of string musicians. And lift up our colleagues' voices from across the country. Why be an island anymore? Join Join us. So, Jessica, we bring over 30 years of combined experience to orchestra teaching, and guess what? We still have so much to learn. No kidding. That's why we're really excited about today's guest, Layla Sanyer, who has over 30 years of experience by herself in teaching and is a familiar name in the Wisconsin education world and beyond. We're going to dive into a different way of thinking about advocacy today, because despite our best efforts at proving our worth to administrators, we still run the risk of getting cut every year. Yep. The class isn't my orchestra, and it isn't my program anymore. Layla is a pro at reframing the conversation to make it student-centered. Plus, she generously provides lots of resources that we will link in the show notes. Keep listening to find out how you can get stakeholders to really pay attention to your orchestra at your school in all the right ways. All right, our first question for you, Layla, is tell us about your background in school orchestra education, as well as your involvement with music education advocacy at the state and national level. Okay, Um, I started teaching in 1979 in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, taught there 10 years, um, and then moved to the Madison area and finished my master's uh, at UW-Madison in in music education during that interim year. And then I signed on with the Oregon School District south of Madison and taught there for 28 years, um, retiring in 2015. Uh, During that time and beyond, I served on the WMEA Council. I was president for a few years, and I was also president of the National Association for Music Education uh, North Central Division. And in both capacities, my strengths were in advocacy and uh, on Capitol Hill in D.C. and also here in Madison. And um, I ran the advocacy committee here for quite a few years and has served on it also for a long time that helped to generate the advocacy page on the WMEA website and have worked with individual districts and teachers to support them as they work for a more positive approach to supporting music ed in their, in their communities. Excellent. And we will be linking your advocacy web pages and such in the show notes. But um, speaking of all that great work, how can you sort of broadly define advocacy for orchestra or music education in general? Well, I, I, you know, I do think that the word advocacy has come and gone at times. There's an ebb and a flow to the use of that word. It can be alternatively seem to be very positive and also seem to be kind of negative. And so it depends who we're talking with and how we use the word. Uh, To me, I am more interested in how it is part of what we do every day as teachers. So as an orchestra teacher, I worked to make sure my students understood the importance of what they were learning in the classroom, that they had input, that it was a student-centered classroom, because that automatically brings them into an advocacy position. They're not going to be negative about something that they can participate in and contribute to. That also brings their parents in, which is another 
important piece of the puzzle. And then it's much easier to go into administration and say, you know, look at this cool thing that happened in the orchestra classroom today. This is why orchestra is important. This is why kids should be studying string instruments. There's there's a, well, as you know, there's an incredible history for string instruments. And it isn't just in the classical sphere. It's in the folk sphere. It's in the jazz angle. It's rock. It's everything. So there's something unique about a string instrument that doesn't appear in the rest of music education. And it's important that kids understand that as well as the people that are in their lives in in the school. What are some specific ways that music educators can alter their vocabulary or verbiage to advocate for their curricular and student needs? Well, clearly you have heard about what a lot of my work has been about, because I feel that words matter, that language matters, that unless we think very carefully about what we use in speech and writing, and it's easier it's easier to think about this in writing but even in speech as much as possible it is much easier than to also feel like an advocate to be an advocate for anything one of my concerns is that in music education we are often our own worst enemy because we use words that have been used for hundreds of years literally <laughs> and music education is a very old area of study in this country and in the world. And we tend to lean back on words that have been around for centuries, which in some cases is fine. In other cases, it's actually detrimental to our cause. So I promote that we are continually looking at the words we use and changing them. I don't have a, this word is better than that word. It looks like that a little bit because I do have a chart that you have both probably seen. But that chart, I don't own it. It's not copyrighted. People can change the vocabulary to fit where they are, to fit strings rather than music education in general, like mine sort of does. So if we're having trouble in a certain area, what words have we been using with the people we've been interacting with in that area? Uh, Basically, I encourage people to figure out their own vocabulary, look at what they're using that's outdated, that's a little bit antiquated, especially in strings. It's wonderful because nobody looks at us and says, well, you should be doing this or this or this. They kind of go, we have a string program as if it's something they don't have to think about, you know? So I think it would help us to look at what we do and work on leaving the competitive totally symphonic, dead European composer area here and there, and then looking at how that changes the language. I think it's important for teachers to Mm. be able to describe or explain what they're going for in their classroom with their students that doesn't just look like curriculum, that is actually a a visual kind of description. Um, If you walk in the classroom, (laughs) what will you see? As opposed to this week, we're working on such and such. And What do you suggest for educators whose words, whose advocacy falls on deaf ears? Um, For example, if a principal dismisses an educator's needs because it's just music or it's just an elective class, what are some like quick responses that come to mind? Okay. There's quite a bit that you can say. If if someone is so rigid 
as to assume that they have the right answers for everything. And there are people in this world, administrators and teachers and kids, and you know, that feel that way. So it makes them appear more difficult. But I, I have noticed that if you repeat, it's, it's like in politics, actually, if you repeat yourself enough and in enough different ways, people start to just speak it and they don't, they might not even realize they're doing it, or they might hear it coming up in other from other people's mouths and other people's writing. And then they start to think, you know, maybe I need to shift gears. With one administrator that I worked with, it took years. She felt she knew everything and it took years. And But by the time we were into, you know, the last 10, 15 years of my career in, in Oregon, she was quoting me and she was coming, dropping in my room and asking me advice for something. So, you know, it isn't something that can happen right away. But if if there is if there's a really volatile situation where a decision is going to be made and there's going to be cuts involved or shifts in staffing or kids are not going to be able to study something that you feel is really important, then I think you might have to look at getting some very articulate, well-thinking, strong parents who can think and speak well for all kids, not just their kid, and can join you in, in a conversation and then hopefully um, slowly get their word out, you know, to the people who are being difficult. I think generally nowadays, administrators are feeling caught in between. And so it's a very rare administrator who just makes a decision on their own that music isn't important. I think most of them would rather give lip service to music being important, but they're afraid to put it in any different importance level than math and and reading. And this is also now an antiquated concept. Uh, We have discovered that math scores and reading scores have not improved at all in some places and uh, substantially enough in others. And it's if they have gone down recently, there's been a lot of stories going around. It's because the, the teaching and learning situation was so severely altered. And if an administrator is scared or nervous or worried, you have some things legally and uh, law in terms of a law that you can share. We are no longer talking about core ever as music educators. Should not be. Should not be. There is a federal law that is no longer talking about core. Core does not exist. So whatever people are identifying as core on a local level is manufactured to fit their need or to fit simplicity. If it's more simple to just focus on reading and math, that's what people are going to continue to do because they don't want to be overwhelmed. And so if we can get across to them that we're there as support, that we are there to to fight the good fight um, along with them, that they don't need to do it by themselves, that we would not expect an administrator to advocate for every every single point in every single area, that what we're trying to do is bring education together and integrate it rather than separate it more into silos like it's been. And if they continue to just focus on testing in areas, that's also taking the easy way out, that this is the easiest way to run a school district is to just test scores and numbers of kids in a room. It, it is more difficult to advocate for a good education, a well-rounded education. And that is that takes, in order to say that to a person, you really do need to be in their office occasionally with other little ditzy things. Okay. Yeah. Other less important in their mind or in your mind, maybe things like 
we have a concert coming up and the kids have been studying and listen to what this one kid said, that kind of thing. I just wanted you to see it and then leave the room. That's not scary. That's not harmful. That's using the right language, um, talking about kids. Always, always, always talking about kids, not going into an administrator and saying, I need this, I need that, you need to do this for me. That goes nowhere. And it also goes nowhere in the long run when there are cuts that are going to happen or, or that need to happen or there's readjusting things. If you go in and say, even if you feel that way, and of course, understandably feel that way, I don't want to teach in the school. I want to teach in the one I've been in, or I don't want to go to 75%. We can't afford that. I'd have to leave the district, you know, things like this. You can be thinking all those things and really painfully. But if you've been advocating for what kids need, you are, you say to an administrator, do you realize that by doing this, the kids at such and such a school are getting less time to learn. They're getting less time with each other. They will not be as successful and they will not feel as comfortable to be independent. And what we're working for is independence. And we're working for kids having something to say, not just cramming music for the next concert. Yeah. We want them to have time. We, Because the idea is to bring them into what will hurt kids or what will help kids, you know, as positive as possible, but definitely kid-centered. Well, I think when you talk about politics, you know, we elect representatives to go and fight for us in making laws and, and making change. And I think that, you know, as orchestra teachers, our constituents are our students and their families. And so we have to go and be politicians to administrators and develop relationships and develop trust because right. unfortunately, you know, in my career, I have only distrusted administrators. Right. And I don't remember a time where it was just like easy, like the relationship no. went very easily. It always seems like every year they're coming to attack us. And that's so, very yeah. intimidating. And, and, and it may not be that they see it as an attack, but you're right. In the early 90s with uh, No Child Left Behind, there was a shift from grassroots politics and Politics with a small p, but it is politics. You're right. There was a shift from uh, grassroots autonomy in the classroom, decision shared decision making, PTAs, PTOs, uh, umbrella groups within the faculty, whatever. And there was a shift, a slow shift. By the time I retired, everything was top down. And you had to sort of schmooze you had to be able to schmooze with the administrator or you had to be late in your career enough that you could take risks. You had capital. I had capital. Right. Um, I, I joked with one administrator who came in to observe me. It was his, it was my year to be observed. Nobody showed up. Nobody showed up. He, he wanted me to design something. I designed something, you know, whatever. It was very easy. Just use what I've used. And then uh, he came in to observe me the last period of the last exam class. It was music composition of the last day of school of my last year of teaching. <laughs> and I told the kids, I said, <laughs> realize that I'm being observed <laughs> and I'm retiring, you know, in a week or two. I, it was just <laughs> the funniest. And he kind of laughed embarrassingly. Well, he had saved me till the end because he knew that I could come in and say anything to him, that he would be comfortable, that if there were concerns, he would hear about them. You know, that's where you want to be. Um, 
we don't want to be in an adversarial position. But if it's just up to us to make sure that doesn't happen, that does take a little bit of thought and a little bit of work. And I hear you, Jessica. I mean, you know, yeah, it's almost like we have to be the educator in the room that we can't. Right. In addition to doing our already incredibly busy jobs. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying, I mean, if you've already alienated and been alienated, that's going to take a lot more work. If you're in a place where you've sort of been avoiding, that won't take so much. I think that there's a way to do this sort of, again, embedded day by day. Like if they see you once a week or a couple times a week, come in and say, hey, look at this cool article I wrote for whatever, even if they don't look at it. It's it's something. It shows that you're participating. Or you come in and say, um, physics teacher and I, we did this one year. We're thinking of doing a collaborative project on acoustics and on how sound works, you know, sound waves. And there's been a lot of stuff now. And if it's somebody you haven't been getting along with or they haven't been getting along with you for whatever reason, what can they say? They will see you as just trying to reach out. If that's difficult for them, that's their own problem for a while. But I, I really do think it will turn around. Yeah. Being a, it's like, it's like walking out at night as a woman, being aware of what's around you in the dark. <laughs> An is extra always, sense of perception. That's right. Is yeah. always going to pay off. It doesn't mean that you're going to win everything. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to love you or think great of you, but they will respect what you're doing. And that is the bottom line. It's going to take you many, many years without burning out. Um, I had people tell me as they were leaving the district, one administrator said to me, you know, you were, you were really hard to, sometimes to work with. And I went, no, because I worked so hard at not being hard to work oh. with. Because, yeah, because I had to pay attention and I couldn't look away. And I, 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 I had to reach out in different situations that were difficult. So I said, so you're saying it was good? He goes, well, in a weird way, it wasn't good for me, he said, but it was I think we did a lot together. And and that was, that was my, I had gone in to say goodbye to him, you know, good luck in Florida or wherever he was going. I don't know. Yeah. So I walked out of that one going, Hmm, I actually feel kind of good about that. <laughs> you know, and you should, <laughs> but I also felt a little bad and that I thought he and I were more like friends and apparently I was hard for him to do, but he said it in a way that you're right, Jessica. I mean, it, it was good. It was good. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, we are changing people's minds. Right. And if we sit in a corner and just are defensive and don't put ourselves out occasionally, um, even if it's a, I don't agree with you on that occasionally, um, we don't make progress and we don't help the kids. Uh, I was was accused of not getting along with people occasionally, but uh, I would work on it then a little bit more. I would try something and usually even people who are difficult like to be reached out to it, it makes them feel good even if they wouldn't admit it so well, i think have to be very measured in how you respond yeah. to administrators especially like those that have maybe a larger ego than others right right if you can make what you're asking for not a hoop but a sort of collaborative could we try this or could we try that uh, even if they've been jerks, even if they think they know everything, uh, let's face it, we've been mansplained to more than most yes. right? as women. So I think it's worth reaching out here and there and seeing what can be done more as a challenge, maybe for yourself, for, for a teacher, than as an actual, I think this is going to work or not work. Or if this doesn't work, I'm quitting or giving up. 
mm, you're going to reach people like this all your all our lives, you know, that are think they know a lot. So if the community wants to see change, if the community wants to see kids involved with improvisation and composition, and maybe there's some kids that will conduct and, you know, they, they start to see things that you are trying in the classroom show up on a concert. Do you see us moving in the right direction based on the work you've done? Yes. I mean, the fact that I was asked to do these videos, these webinars, the fact that people are starting to see that you can't involve every kid equitably as they're needed by just using the old way of doing things. That auditoriums are important, but they're auditoriums that are important because you need to have hip hop performances and jazz performances and rock and other things that don't just involve putting an orchestra of 85 kids on a stage that um, we're making headway. And the National Association is definitely making headway. And the state is really trying, you know, um, which is why you probably wanted to talk to Brad too, but I can share just, they're really working on diversity and inclusion. And these are buzzwords in the school too. So if we put them into our vocabulary list, then. I was going to mention help. that, like using school vocabulary, school initiatives and applying it to orchestra has been what's helped me a lot in yep. getting through to administrators. Yep. And um, yeah, just like I'm a team player. I'm just like right. that seventh grade math teacher. I'm just like that 11th grade physics teacher because I'm using the same words to advocate for my students. Right. And that's another thing. I have a list of words that work across a curriculum. I also have integrated units that we did that you probably have also done things like that, that involve English, involve writing, involve reading, involve discussion and also science, you know, so a history. So yeah, this idea of us being off in a corner and it's all about the director and being better than everybody else has to be gone. That has to be gone. We are teachers and we are providing us um, an excellent environment for kids to learn. In. How do you broadly define advocacy for orchestra and music education in general? I think it's really important to understand that advocacy isn't something that you do marching down the street waving a flag, first of all. Um, I think that the word itself has been seen as being negative because the people who make the decisions in a district often think it's a dirty word a little bit. It, it, it creates a mental image of an upset teacher or an upset parent or, you know, whatever. But in actuality, advocacy should be something that's very positive that we all are involved in. And in music education and orchestra, it should involve sharing of information, being the educator in the room, making sure that everybody understands why we do what we do and how we're doing it and how the kids are absorbing it. You know, how are the kids reacting to it? What are they learning? In a way that slowly changes the paradigm, if it needs to be changed. I mean, maybe, you know, some people are in a place where it doesn't need to be. So that's why I often talk about embedded advocacy, by which I mean what is happening in the classroom every day, sharing information with students about what music education is, not keeping secrets from them, making sure that parents are part of the process, making sure that administrators hear about 
about what's going on in the classroom, even if they aren't observing us. And then also changing the language so that we are speaking from an academic standpoint, not from an entertainment standpoint. And obviously music is entertainment on some levels and it's there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're really advocating for why it should be in the school day and why it should be part of every student's academic history involvement, we need to speak about it as other teachers speak about science, math, reading, social studies, foreign language. It's, it's a part of a well-rounded curriculum. It's a study. It isn't just, oh, let's put on a concert and entertain people concert is more of a assessment and by referring to it to to it that way and by changing how we speak about what we do for certain audiences at certain times we're embedding the advocacy we're just making it part of the fabric of what we do and a necessity for kids that's terrific i i know that you have done a lot of workshops <laughs> for local educators on this very topic and you're very vocal about a certain piece of legislation that talks about putting music on par with the other academic subjects that you referred to. Can you give us a little bit of information about that? Right. Uh, Federal law in 2015 struck the word core from language relating to uh, American education. And as we know, the word core has not only been overused, but it's been used as a weapon almost at times to narrow the focus of what kids are doing, to emphasize certain testing, to emphasize grades in a way that isn't healthy. And the word core indicates that something is more important than something else in their education when we know that well-rounded, which is now language as of 2015, signed into law by President Obama, part of the Every Student Succeeds Act, ESEA, Elementary Secondary Education Act. This is a flag (laughs) to wave a little bit, and it it is federal law. It's not state law. Interesting. Okay. When people, when people, and there is no state law for education actually in this state. And when people say, oh, well, it's required now, there's nothing required. There are all sorts of recommendations, but still nothing required other than the legislature needs to support education for all children in the state from age, from birth to um, 21. And this is federal or state statute. And at one time, there was the, I think it's still in the books that the state is supposed to provide two-thirds funding to public schools, but of course that's gone by the wayside. So federal law is what we use when we're speaking about advocacy, even for local, because it, it sounds very healthy. I mean, if people need to feel there's teeth and things, I guess it, it doesn't really help, but it is definitely supported, and that's supported by all our state uh, representatives from the state. There was a change in the state a few years back, and I don't know exactly where it stands now because, you know, the wheels turn slowly and, and there is a lot of politics involved. On the state report cards, uh, you know that there's a state report card for every school district, and the arts, the four arts areas, music, um, art, visual arts, theater, and dance are, are not included 
Um, and we just wanted them included as a data point, and they are now. So if you're surprised about that, it's because you probably have heard that your district is now required and is including the number of students that are enrolled in each of these areas in your district. So if a parent wants to move to a, a certain district in the state, eventually here they should be able to look up and see, okay, what's the enrollment in arts classes? What this does is it says to a, a family or parent, okay, this district is prioritizing the arts for kids. And some administrators were worried about that when it first came out. Some teachers were worried about that. What if they use that against us? And we said, how, how can they use that against you? This is a data point on the state report card. And you aren't the one, as a teacher, you aren't the one that's emphasizing this, that's making sure curriculum is in place. These decision makers in your district, the school board, the, the administration, they're the ones that are deciding. So they will have to start deciding that they need to provide adequate support. If they can't provide adequate support, that's when they need to join us and in going to the legislature and saying, you need to put money behind this. You can't just make mandates. And you know, we tried to talk to a few of them about it and, and uh, they got kind of dark because they don't want to talk. <laughs> they, want, they want to say, oh yeah, this is a great idea, but Oh, wait a minute, we have to put money into it? Oh, okay, we don't want to talk about that. So this is why our governor and others are saying you have all the surplus now, start giving it back to the public schools. You've been taking money away, start putting it back in. And one of the places they can put it back in is an area that we know brings kids to the classroom, that brings kids to the school, that keeps them engaged, and that's music. That's a news flash and very pleasant one, in fact. So along those lines of getting stakeholders in your district to really believe in what you're doing for kids, what are some specific ways that music educators can alter their vocabulary to advocate for their curricular needs uh, for students? You just mentioned a really important point and that is to always direct it toward the students. We need to stop using the word I or me or how this will affect us uh, even though <laughs> as a union person you know on some level definitely this affects a teacher and if a teacher is affected that affects kids but they often separate those two things um, I find. So it's better just to speak about what the kids need and, and that can be difficult at first if you're not used to doing it and most teachers aren't. Many teachers are used to speaking for their own needs. My classroom needs this. I've tried to do this and it hasn't worked. If you turn it around and say the kids need a classroom that includes and then list a few things, that's a really good starting point. So I recommend to, t to teachers who want to start working on this and changing the paradigm instead of being on the defensive go on the offensive and ask the administrator or school board member to visit the classroom when can you come in you know could you come in for five minutes we're doing this really cool project kids are excited about it uh doesn't even have to sound great <laughs> you know because you're going to be explaining what is the learning that's going on i think we often get trapped into feeling like if the kids don't sound good we're in trouble and we we, we don't want to have them in front of people we don't want the a concert to happen. I'm not saying that the two of you are like this, but I, I think it's very common for music teachers to feel like they're 
job is on the line if the kids don't sound good. Um, and actually explaining what they're what they're studying while they're all they're working on shifting and they've got this fingerboard that has no frets. <laughs> and imagine having to figure out where to go from this place to this place and they're all figuring it out at the same time. And then I think there are some other hardcore words that need to be changed. Um, one of them I already mentioned is using the word study instead of play. Um, obviously we know they're playing instruments, but if you could say study more often, I think it makes a difference. Small group instruction, for instance, or small group teaching or individual lessons, saying uh, learning, small group learning, uh, individual learning because that still exists in other places. It doesn't exist enough, but it, it, it makes sense, I think, to those who, you're, who are listening to you. I recommend to people that they try one or two things at a time. Don't, it, it, you know, if, you, if you're an overachiever and you try to do everything all at once, you'll just be discouraged. It's, it's not possible. But it is also interesting to do some listening. And if you listen, you will hear other people start to shift their language. If you listen, you will hear how much we hear colleagues talk about what they own. In the, my students, right? My, my and even my, my students. My students isn't too bad because it's a relationship kind of. Oh, but, okay. but my room, my orchestra, my kids, my curriculum, <laughs> you know, and, and the thing is, we feel so responsible that that's the reason, but it comes off sounding like it's all about us. We're directors, we're conductors, we are, it's the music man syndrome, you know? Yeah. And, and so what happens is if they feel they need to do something negative, cut something away from kids, if they keep hearing about us, they only feel like they're hurting us. And that's one person, as opposed to a class of 30 or multiple classes of 30 or many kids at many schools. So it's important for them to understand these kids want to study music. This is a great way to do it. And holding an instrument and trying some things is, is the best way to learn about music. And we're not just teaching about things that interest us. We're teaching things that are current for kids, that we're asking them to learn with us about things that are current as well, just like a math teacher is teaching about new ideas and how to structure math problems. And uh, we're facilitators, and we're proud of it. It's For some kids, this is the thing that, as I said, that will make school meaningful for them and make learning meaningful. We're teaching about learning and we're very conscious of it. So these are all things that make what we do different in my view. I've had people kind of go, whoa, because <laughs> they and some of them don't think that way. I mean, they've grown up with music as a very traditional subject. They remember how it was taught. Maybe they weren't involved. They That was for other kids. That was for smart kids. Who knows, you know, but yeah, just to hear the language be sort of calm and, yeah, we're, we're part of a well-rounded education. What we're doing is part of a well-rounded education for kids. And, um, yeah. Well, as of 2015, I mean, that's really not that long ago. No, 
especially in education, right? Right. I mean, there was <laughs> like, like a blink of an eye. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And with the pandemic just kind of clouding things, it's now right. probably even more important than ever to just continue to beat that point home is, you know, we are, everybody is on equal footing here, according to federal law. Right, exactly. And what I, what I'm concerned about a little bit is that we oftentimes use the next popular thing that comes up. And right now I think it's SEL. And, oh yeah. Um, but I, music is part I, of that too. <laughs> always, always more than other areas, and it's always been there. And so, in a way, to me, it looks like something that somebody can use to write books. And remember when we were talking about emotional intelligence or uh, musical intelligence or gardener? You know, it's always something that somebody grabs onto. I just, and that's fine, grab onto it, but understand that the main thing is that we're always putting kids at the center and that we are gently pulling people to where we want them to be to work for the benefit of kids. Uh, when we have to advocate for ourselves, for salary, for, for safety, for any of those union issues, that can completely be done and we can involve kids in that too. But the union is unlikely to look at what's best for kids. They're more concerned about what's best for teachers. So we let that work there. I, I was on negotiations for four years too. I mean, we, we let that work over there knowing that we're helping them over here. But this is more about being the expert. Yeah. And, and doing it in a very calm, non, non-defensive way. This is not about me. This is about American education and, and how music education is shifting. There are standards, there are assessments, there's development of curriculum, there's CMP, there's, you know, we have all sorts of things we can point to. And I, I would bring articles in occasionally to principals and say, look at this interesting article and see if, you know, let me know if you have any questions and then just walk out of the room. <laughs> nice. Here's a truth bomb for you. Uh, Just ponder it. <laughs> I understand if they don't have time or if they don't bother, but the fact that a music teacher is doing that and not just saying, I need to have the gym on Thursday. Yeah. I need, to, I need to have this. I don't have enough room in my classroom for kids to sit. I mean, I like that tack. I mean, why, why would it be about you having enough room? That's what I would like to say to a person who comes, you know, you're, you're tired you're feeling put upon, it's really hard to be calm about it, but there is not enough room in the orchestra classroom for a class of 40. Not only that, but they don't have enough face-to-face time with the teacher. If standard class size in our district is 30 max, then that's what needs to happen in the street classroom. I mean, these are the kinds of things, this is what's best for kids. And if I had to say this is what's best for kids 47 times in three days, I would do it. Because who's going to fault you? You know? Yeah. Say, Stop talking about kids all the time. Right? <laughs> you know? Right? Uh, so. But if you talk about yourself and you say, I don't have enough room. There's not enough room for me to get around the room even. Um, my stuff has to be piled in a little corner. I, don't, I can't have a desk in there. The kids are... You know, I have to tune 40 kids at the beginning of class, and I don't have enough time. They barely get tuned, and then I have to go on to this and this and this. Do you see what's happening in that conversation? Yeah. It's all yep. me, 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 me. And if you say, you know, 
the ideal class time for a class of 30 string players in the sixth grade is 45 minutes because in that amount of time they can get assistance in tuning their instrument they can learn how to set up their stand and their music they can figure out and then we can work on a few tunes and we can also study a little bit of technique if the classroom time is too short they get shortchanged. and you're saying the same thing I, absolutely the same right. thing and yeah. I could even say I could even say it's kind of important that the teacher desk and the library is in the same room as the kids because then the kids can get access to the music quicker or get access to me quicker yeah such a paradigm shift from what we're used to as teachers especially because we feel this inherent ownership over our students and classroom materials instruments etc right and it isn't about us anymore and it has to be about the kids because unfortunately administrators more often than not start to tune us out if we aren't starting the conversation with student-centered language this interview is really a crash course in Layla's brand of advocacy. So if you want to hear her full presentation and other great resources, check out our show notes. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can find us on Insta and on our website, which are both Teaching Orchestra Pod, one word. See you next time.